This is Clutch Fans. And by the way, shout out to the Clutch fans. You're listening to the Clutch Fans Podcast, an open conversation for Houston Rockets diehards. Houston Rockets is unbeatable. <laughs> Now, here's your host, the man who would have drafted Harold Miner over Robert Ory, Dave Hardesty. Well, welcome into the podcast. Uh, you know, this is almost a, a deja vu moment for me here. I'm here with my uh, good friend, M.K. Bauer of Sports Exchange and Culture Map. you got to read his stuff if you haven't had a chance to. It's excellent work. But uh, I'm here with him at the Toyota Center after the game, after a home loss to Portland. I know this is probably the third podcast we've done in this exact same situation. But the Rockets lost uh, 109-98 to tonight to the Blazers. Uh, a tough game. MK, what were some of the things that you saw in this game that jumped out at you? It's interesting that you make that point because from a Portland perspective, I think they'd be much more pleased about this win than the two wins where we spoke last time after Portland games because those were games dominated by LaMarcus Aldridge. And, yeah. and he was good tonight, but he wasn't great. I think for all the narrative about Portland's shortcomings, it's been about their bench. And tonight, their bench is fantastic. CJ McCollum early, Miles Leonard late. And that was the one thing that kind of got them over the hump. I thought the Rockets, you know, for for all the the, the the progress they've made with their bench, tonight was one of those games where Hard got no help other than Josh Smith. And it, it resonated with me because I think back to what Chandler Parsons said when the Mavericks were here recently about stop James Harden, you, you stop the Rockets. Well, tonight Portland almost just kind of said, James, do what you want. We'll stop everybody else. And it effectively worked for them. You know, this team is, is I don't want to say maddening, at this stage, but it's kind of hard to figure out where they're headed because they'll have stretches of play where they'll be very good, where they'll give complimentary scoring and rebounding and, and passing. We saw that the, the previous game here. And then you have nights like tonight where really not, not much is going on other than Harden being transcendent. He was extraordinary tonight. Yeah. And from that perspective, you hate to waste games where you get 45-9-8 out of your MVP candidate. That was an extraordinary performance, and yet they really got it down to three late in the game and just couldn't get over that hump. Yeah, you know, I think that's uh, sort of a problem that they have, especially this starting lineup. I thought Demo looked <clears throat> a little bit timid at times. I think maybe he, maybe I, again, I'm, I'm reaching here, but maybe hype this one up a little bit, thinking to himself, "Hey, Aldridge is the guy who's really eaten this team up. This is my opportunity. I haven't had that chance to play against him. He certainly really didn't get that opportunity, uh, you know, last year when it was Hashik and, and Jones sort of going at him. So I, I think maybe." He built this up a little bit and, and, and struggled. Obviously, one of seven from the free throw line. I thought he missed a couple of bunnies, um, you know, a couple opportunities there. But, you know, obviously the game really got out of hand in that second quarter when the, the Blazers just sort of tore the Rockets' defense apart. Uh, C.J. McCollum was big in the, in, the, in the first half off the bench. Uh, I think it, they shot 61% in that period. And as you mentioned, uh, like Myers Leonard you know, was the reserve that really stepped up in the second half pick and roll. I think they got eaten alive. Um, but there were some positives. I thought they did a good job overall on Aldridge in the sense that Josh Smith gave them at times a different look and they rotated really well. But, 
still come up on the short end. I think part of that's inability to contain their bigs and the, the reserves. It's certainly, certainly noteworthy on a night where Dwight Howard addressed us before the game. Yeah. To where you see a game where Rockets just kind of got bullied by Portland's bigs. Let's be honest. I thought, you know, came in only scored four points, but he scored four points on two bigs trying to defend them and he looked helpless to one. So, Robin Lopez was really throwing in their side in key spots. To your point in the second quarter, Portland had 18 points in the paint in that period, and they really just got everything they wanted inside with, with Lopez rolling to the basket, getting a couple of dunks. And then later in the game, after the Rockets took that lead on that Smith three to open the fourth quarter, it was Myers Leonard and Robin Lopez just doing whatever they wanted. So I think the worst-case scenario for the Rockets kind of played out in small increments tonight. It's where big men from another team just had their way with Terrence Jones, with Josh Smith to an extent, with Joey Dorsey, Donatus Moniunas. Those guys offered no real resistance defensively against Portland's bigs. And, yeah, you don't see a lot of that in the Western Conference. It won't be a stark problem moving forward in terms of teams having multiple bigs that they can attack you with. But, man, this was one of those nights where you wish you had another big defender who could kind of thwart some of that scoring on the post, well, on the interior by the opposing team, and you didn't have it. That guy had on glasses and a T-shirt and was talking to us pregame. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Uh, you know, I don't think Terrence Jones necessarily fills that, that role. I'd, I'd like to see him get more comfortable. He struggled a bit tonight, I think, one of five from the field. Uh, you know, and, and I don't want to transition necessarily from this game. This was a big game, but I, I don't want to transition to it necessarily and, and talk about the big picture. But I do think what we saw a little bit tonight did, does show some of the flaws of this team. Certainly with Dwight out, the starting lineup is James Harden, Donatus Motiunas in, in the ways that you can use him offensively. And you've got three offensive liabilities in, in some ways. I mean, Trevor Ariza, when he's on, hey, he's, he's really filling that, uh, you know, filling a, a great role for you. But Patrick Beverly has struggled big time. Joey Dorsey is not, you know, there's nothing advertised there as, as being an offensive player. You know what you get with Joey Dorsey. But it seems like that's offensively you've got Demo and, and Harden right now in that starting lineup, and you're going to you're trying to find offense in different ways off of your bench. It's interesting. I think their approach still without Dwight is going to be volume three point shooting, not necessarily efficient three point exactly. shooting, but exactly. volume three point shooting. You can't get around the fact that Trevor Ariza is shooting 33 percent from three point range. Or that Patrick Beverly, while 37 sounds good, has come really back to the pack. Yeah, absolutely. And it's only shooting 39% overall. That's the real issue because once he gets inside the arc, he's giving you nothing. He over dribbles, he pins himself on the baseline a lot, and he's not really much of a facilitator. And, and look, you can't blame any one guy for the ups and downs of this team, but we've talked about it a lot during the course of the game. There's been chatter about it around either the media or the fan base. Patrick Beverly just has not been very good for yeah. a long stretch of time. And it's been on both sides of the ball. I would I would accept a little bit more readily if he were still a great defensive player. Yeah. He's not been a great defensive player. And tonight he cannot and keep Damian Lillard at all in front of him. And then the issues offensively, if you're not going to facilitate and you're not going to make baskets, then I'm not quite sure what, what, what impact you have on a team that's positive. And tonight, you know, Mikhail pulled him. And the Rockets made their run, basically going a little bit bigger with Harden at the point and switching Corey Brewer for a while, I think, on yeah. Lillard and then maybe Trevor Ariza for a spell. They just had to get somebody else on him because he was wearing Patrick Beverly out in terms of dribble penetration. And, yeah, the why is the, is the issue because yeah. we all understand that, that, that Lillard is a fantastic three-point shooter and that you run some risk by backing up off of him. But you can't get beat repeatedly off the dribble like Beverly has been beat off the dribble by a lot of guys this season, not yeah. just Lillard tonight. It's been an ongoing problem. He has to get that individually corrected in order to move forward and make this team a much stronger unit. 
And that's, yeah, I, I cannot figure this out because I've been a big Beverly fan. I think he has fit extremely well into the lineup and, and, and hop in if, if you necessarily feel differently. But I, you know, I've looked at what he's done for three reasons that he uh, fits so well. He could knock down the three at a decent clip. Not great, but a decent clip. Um, he did not turn the ball over. Granted, he wasn't a, a, you know, a guy who handled the ball constantly, but he didn't turn the ball over, didn't make a lot of mistakes, and he played strong defense. For that reason, he fit very well next to James Harden, who plays the point. But, you know, looking at the last nine games, 32.9% from the field, 25% from three, killing you offensively. Because these are, you know, we've talked about this before. These are not just like, he's not like coming down off a screen and pulling up for three. He's getting wide open catch and shoot threes, m- most of them, uh, off of James Harden kickouts. And, and those are the shots you've got to knock down. And the defense has been, as you mentioned, an issue, especially off the dribble. We talked about at that Bucks game where the Rockets did win the game. I think Mikhail talked about afterwards, it's been a problem all year for this team where they're getting beat off the dribble, guys attacking the basket, and without Dwight back there, not getting bailed out. And I think I asked that question post game in terms of is it impacting the way guys play defense, knowing they don't have that last line of defense and maybe they're a little bit nervous, that they, their approach is a little bit skewed. But I agree with you. I think it's interesting to a, to a degree. You're still getting the no turnovers, and you're still getting above league average three-point shooting out of Beverly, but the defense has been woeful relative to what he's been, and the overall shooting has been terrible, and you just can't have that. Look, if, if your offense is predicated on James Harden finding guys open, and he does a great job of that, and Josh Smith with the second unit finding guys open, and he's done a fantastic job of that, if those guys can't convert wide-open three-pointers, then it's going to fail. Yeah. Let's be honest here. You're not going to be nearly as efficient as you want to be, you won't be nearly as prolific as you hope to be if you cannot have Patrick Beverly, Trevor Ariza, and to an extent Jason Terry hit wide open three pointers because that's all they really give you offensively. They're not doing anything else. They're not driving, they're not dishing, they're not drawing. They're spot up three point shooters who hit open shots. If they don't hit open shots, then what is the point in having them in the game? Because it, it not only hinders their individual performance, it impacts the way James Harden and Josh Smith play the game because they're so strong at doing that, getting those guys open looks. Yeah. You know, a, a couple of games ago, I was looking at, a, I think, the previous 10-game stretch, and I think Brewer, Ariza, Beverly were responsible for nearly half. I think it was like 48 49% of the team's, you know, by volume, their, their three-point shots, and they were shooting about 30%, maybe a hair under. That's that's worrisome, and I think you know we can talk about the trade deadline here shortly. But I think somehow they've got to find a guy who can who can be a good catch and shoot guy, hit, hit, knock down the three at an efficient clip, uh, and somehow fit into this rotation without disrupting the defense. Not an easy uh, thing that they're going to have to pull off. Um, James Harden, I, you know, I want to talk a little bit about a positive thing here. Last 35 games, uh, 48.2% from the field. 42, a little over 42% from three, almost 29 points a game, 6.8 assists, 5.3 rebounds, 2.03 steals. This is 35 games. Tonight he had, uh, I think this is his NBA-leading 23rd game with 30-plus, NBA-leading fifth game this season with 40-plus. I mean, we're spoiled by this guy and and his ability. I mean, are we seeing something, like, truly special, uh, an elite player at at this level? Two things, to, to piggyback off your comment. A, I hope Rockets fans never take it for granted. And I have that, that, I don't want to call it an epiphany, but that moment hit me during the course of the game tonight when he just started getting bananas at the free throw line. He and, and Marcus Aldridge, to me, are maybe the two best offensive players at their respective position. What James is doing is just otherworldly. And, and 
and I said this earlier, you don't want to waste 45, 9, and 8 from your best player because it's not just the 45, it's the 9 rebounds and the 8 assists with guys missing open shots. Probably could have been 12, 13 assists. Look, the defense in spots tonight was extraordinary. I think the, the play where Terry hit the open three after James really just kind of funneled his way in there and forced a, forced a steal, forced mm, a turnover. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he's hustling at such a much higher level defensively than he was at 80 point last year. And I hope people see that. Like, you have to watch the game to gain an appreciation for how hard he's playing defense on top of all the other crap he's giving you offensively. And it was weird just kind of watching him just wear down a little bit tonight. He started missing free throws in the second half. He missed four for the game. You shouldn't complain about going 19 for 23, but he missed four late. Um, I just thought the shot got a little bit short because you just, again, and Mikhail's made this point recently a lot. You're dumping so much onto his shoulders and asking him to kind of carry you as a scorer, as a facilitator, now as a defender on the, on, the, on the perimeter on the other end of the court, and it's so much, and he's done it. And he's done it, as you said, for a long stretch of time. Let's not lose sight of how great he's been. Yeah. And, I, and I get that Golden State is a sexier team because of their record and because Steph Curry has kind of gained a lot of fanfare by the way he plays, not just the numbers, but the style of play. And it's going to be really hard for James to overcome that sort of momentum that Steph has built. But, geez, it, it's, I've always felt like it's kind of been a coin flip between those two. LeBron's making a push back into the conversation. Russell Westbrook has been extraordinary. He's making a push. But at this point, I still see James as being the most valuable player in this league simply because now the Rockets are going to be without Howard for at least six weeks. And he's played at such a great level, both ends of the court, for so long that I don't know how you deny that sort of performance. Look, you, you ask guys to be superstar players and you ask them to give you two-way performances, he's done that. That should be rewarded. And I think on a day-to-day basis, he's been the best player in the league this season. Yeah, no, I actually agree with you. Uh, you know, I, I still have to look back at this trade and think to myself, Kevin Martin, Jeremy Lamb, <laughs> you know, a, a, a draft pick. No matter how I mean, good at that point, it's just it, it, it boggles the mind you're able to acquire a player like this at 23 years of age without some major, major red flag. And I remember... You know, at the time, I don't think anyone expected something like this to happen. I think Jared Bayless said after the last game, and you know, who, Jared Bayless went to Arizona at the same time that uh, Harden was at Arizona State. He said nobody could have predicted this because when you know the Rockets signed to this guy to an eighty million dollar extension, it was criticized. You know, because people are like, he's not worth that. He's a, he's a, a six man and, and a, just a, an offensive player. Uh, he's taken it to a whole nother level. It, it, I don't know where the Rockets would be if they weren't able to acquire James Harden, but it has completely changed the face of the franchise. I don't want to use the word transcendent because that's reserved for the best of the best of the best. And I don't know if he's quite there yet. He's not Kobe in his prime and players of that ilk. But, man, he's getting close, and he's pushing. And, and to the point that Bayless made the other day, it's amazing what usage can do. You know, you don't know how a guy's going to handle having that much more responsibility, that many more shots. And I think we've seen James grow in the three years that he's been here from where he was defensively last year to where he is this year. I think he heard the noise and he got to, you know, play with the, the U.S. Olympic team or, well, the World Championship team. And he's embraced the responsibility. And I said this, I've said this multiple times this year. When we had media day, he seemed like a different dude sitting up on a dais, the way he talked, the way he behaved. That light has kind of come on in terms of, hey, this is on me. Yeah, Dwight's here, but ultimately this is kind of on me. Yeah. And I, I, I appreciate the, how much he's grown into that role of being an all-around caliber star player, superstar. And, and yeah, could we not have seen this coming? Who knows? You know, when you give a guy the ball that much more, when he's not playing with the Kevin Durant and a Russell Westbrook, you don't know what's going to happen. But I think there was an inkling of that. And it's funny, I saw Daryl Morey walking out 
tonight he chatted with me and, and Jenny Dow creature of the Chronicle for a hot second before we talked to Terry Stotts and you have to almost applaud him for kind of looking at James and projecting and that's a big part of what this what this business is about when you scout it's not about what you see now it's what you can see yeah. in the future and yeah. I think they saw something in James that no one else saw and he said it at that press conference saying yeah. you know it's you, you don't get these type of players at this age it's unheard of you know and I remember him saying he was a superstar at that time and yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, it, it's going to be interesting to see what he grows into because, A, he's really, really young. And, B, can he be a, a Tracy McGrady kind of player offensively where, you know, 25, 6, and 6 is an ordinary night, and yeah. no one should think about that as being ordinary. That's pretty doggone good. And we're kind of seeing the first signs of that where, you know, 45, 9, and 8, you know, you look down and you're like, wow, you know, really? But he's doing it frequently. You, you drop the numbers to 30-point scoring. He's going to win a scoring title this year yeah. unless somebody comes up out of nowhere. Maybe Russell Westbrook in terms of having enough games to qualify. Yeah. But he's always going to have the rant there to take shots from him. And, and I think winning a scoring title at that age is going to open up a whole new you know, realm of possibilities for James as an offensive player. I want to talk a little bit about Dwight. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, he spoke to us today, first time since he had this uh, injection in his right knee. And obviously... You know, fans were were heavily concerned about this injection. It was something that a lot of people thought, you know, looked like it was to, to regrow cartilage. It was compared to microfracture in some, you know, reports. We, in fairness, I think most of us were left to Google this and try to figure it out ourselves, so our minds were scrambling. Uh, you know, according to the Rockets, according to Dr. Lowe and, and Dwight, it's, you know, not quite that serious. The, the knee is, is structurally uh, fine. They're not terribly concerned about it. They did put t- today a six- to eight-week timeline on it. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about his impact. You know, before the season, I would have said if the Rockets, you know, given their lack of depth, you know, if they had lost Howard or Harden for any extended stretch, they would have been in a lot of trouble. Maybe like the Clippers right now losing Blake Griffin. They would have been in a lot of trouble. I think Demo has stepped up when he, when Howard went out the first time. He has really, uh, you know, become a, a different player this year. And then they added Josh Smith. Those two guys have sort of helped fill that void with him out. And you look at the you know the games this year; they're 22 and 10 with Howard, 13 and 6 without him. Almost identical win percentage. Are six to eight weeks without Dwight? If that's in fact the case, how much are they going to miss him? They're going to miss him a lot because I think he impacts the consistency that this team plays with. Uh, you know, we've seen how well they can play without Dwight early in the year, and a lot of that was scrambling defensively, just effort, effort, effort. And now we're having to see this team kind of adjust again with the new players they added in between the last time they had Dwight missing and now where they stand with Josh Smith and and Corey Brewer in particular. But I I don't know how you can expect the team to be a plus defensive team for long stretches of time without a guy like Dwight Howard back there holding the back line. And it's interesting. Like We see Josh Smith and Terrence Jones block the occasional shot, but they're not Dwight Howard at the rim. That's a huge difference. And when you don't have that guy back there thwarting players, it's, it impacts how you play defense on the perimeter. And I think even offensively, we've kind of, you know, hashed things out up that's, there. That's the harder yeah, part. Yeah. yeah, it's like not having that role man to the rim, not having that guy who can finish with dunks on offensive rebounds, not having that alley-oop candidate. Tonight we saw Terrence Jones miss an alley-oop when he should have dunked. He just kind of laid it in very softly and apprehensively. It, it impacts how you do everything. And the one thing that strikes me in terms of hearing Dr. Lowe talk and even hearing Dwight talk and looking now at his career minutes at 28,000 minutes for his career, you're going to hit that point where there's no return for these guys. And, and he's played a lot of minutes in his career for a guy who's not yet 30. And Dr. Lowe was talking about load-bearing weight and you know having big guys push on him and all these things. And, and that's the red flag to me. That's the concern. 
because at some point you turn that corner and you can never come back. And he's going to lose that athleticism. He's really not a very big guy. It's funny when you watch him in the locker room move around. He's really lean. He's muscular, but he's lean. And at some point, the accumulation of just blow after blow after blow, it saps you what you've always been. And I don't know if you kind of get to, gotten to that point with Dwight Howard, but there's a concern within me that when he gets back, he's going to be that much further away from where he was in his prime. He's going to be that much further away from where he was before he got hurt with the Lakers. And you, that slow erosion, it, it takes away from the kind of player he can be, and it impacts everything that this team is. So right now we're not having him. And then you get him back, and you yeah. wonder what he's going to be when he comes back. Because at this point, I just don't know if we're ever going to see a player who's even close to where he was when his prime in Orlando. And I just hope, yeah, and that's the case. I hope that this extended rest really gets him back because I thought there were times he looked good. Other times he, and he even mentioned that today, saying, hey, there were times I, I felt I could go through the pain fine. Other times it just it hurt, and it was you know, I wasn't myself. So I'm hoping he can get back into form because, you know, there were times where dumping the ball into, into the post and into Dwight was, you know, a losing venture. Defensively, you know he's, how he's going to impact the team, but hopefully this stretch will get him back to the norm. It, it, it's interesting, too, because we talked about this at the top, but not having him against Portland and the way he played in the postseason last year against uh, that yeah, team, no doubt. it just shows you all the greatness that he can be or what he can become when all things are kind of working in concert with his body and with his teammates. But looking at this list, of the, there are 29 players coming in tonight that had more minutes active players than Dwight Howard, and there's a lot of old guys on this list, and there's a lot of guys who've worn down from where they were in their prime. Guys who are all in their 30s, guys who are shadows of the former selves. The only guy that jumps out at me that's still an elite-level player with more minutes than Dwight Howard is LeBron James. And even this year is the first time we've seen chinks in his armor in terms of having to take some time off to rest his back, to rest his knees. Look, Father Tom is undefeated. Yeah. It is what it is. And at some point, these guys all kind of slide back to the pack and then aren't anywhere close to what they were. The Rockets have to hope that they have enough out of Howard in the next year and a half, two seasons, to squeeze out of him to maintain championship contention because once he loses it, it's going to be gone forever. Yeah, and the time is, you know, in that sense, is not necessarily on their side. But they do have an interesting uh, scenario here where they're going to go into the trade deadline, which, you know, they've got just these last two road games before the All-Star break and before the trade deadline on the 19th. Uh, they need some point guard help. I think we've probably narrowed it down to that. Um, we know Goran Dragic is perfect from a contract standpoint, uh, offense, defense, uh, fit around Harden, provide that second playmaker. Seems to be everything that the Rockets could want. Beyond that, there's a drop-off. The, uh, you know, as far as who might be available, the Rockets have some decent assets. They have uh, Clint Capella. They have um, you know Terrence Jones, Denadis Montiunas, if they were to consider that. Uh, and, of course, the New Orleans pick, which... You, depending on, you know, Anthony Davis injuries could be quite lucrative. We'll see how that goes. But, uh, you know, at what point, I don't know if they can necessarily just give those type of pieces up for just a marginal upgrade. They've got to get a significant player, and if they can't get that here at this deadline, do they just pass and, and, and wait till the summer? I think you have to pass because yeah. at this point, the weakness is glaring. It's point guard. It's, it's facilitating, yeah. not necessarily defense, but helping James out offensively in terms of running the offense. And you can't give up assets without getting something you know is going to impact your team positively at that specific point. You can't go chase another big because you're going to get Dwight Howard back at some point. I don't think you need to chase a wing three, a wing shooter and defender. That's really kind of unnecessary at this point because you have enough bodies there to get it done. It has to be a point guard who's going to elevate the level of play of everybody on this team. And if you can't get that, you can't part with the assets. 
what's interesting to me is this. You know, we all applaud Morey for kind of rolling the dice and going for it, balls to the wall. But I think he's going to be in a difficult position because how long of a stretch have they had the full team in play? You know, they were without Dwight, they were without Patrick Beverly early. They made the trades to get Corey Brewer and Josh Smith in December. Now they've been without Dwight, and they're going to be without him for another month. I don't think we've had a big enough window to really judge what this team can be with a healthy Dwight, with an MVP caliber player in James Harden, with Josh Smith and Corey Brewer completely comfortable with this group, and all the other you know players providing complimentary help. We don't know. Yeah, that's true. I don't mean to cut you off there, but I want to just say one thing on that. I think... Daryl is such a math mind that he would look at that and say, yeah, we've got a lot defensively, a lot of potential there, but we still have a high-volume three-point shooting team that can't really – is not a very efficient three-point shooting team. I think he would still look at it like, I've got to add an upgrade here at this at this position if I can. But I don't think he's going to hemorrhage what he has to upgrade just for the sake of upgrading. No, I, I think, just to your point, it's probably a finite list of players that he's dealing with in his mind that's going to make this team better. And do you have the assets, A, and the, B, all those players available? That's the one thing we keep yeah. wrestling with. We have these conversations on this on these podcasts. Who's available that's really going to elevate the scene? Because you can't make a play just to make a play. It has to be somebody that's going to get you there. Because at this point, you've kind of done everything to kind of get to the stage to where you're in the mix with Portland, with San Antonio, with Oklahoma City, with Golden State for winning the West. If you're not getting that next player that push you right past those guys or right even with those teams, then there's no point in doing it. Has Demo changed your mind in the sense that I don't? I don't I'm sure Phoenix is, is going to do what they're going to do as far as keeping Goran. Uh, you know, but if if it took, you know, Demo and, and additional things to get Goran Dragic here, has he? It's, it's a tough one. Isn't that's it? terrifying at this point because we don't know what we have in Terrence Jones. Um, he looks a little bit unsure after that first really good game back. Yeah. He's been a little bit inconsistent, and that's fine. You expect that. The guy was gone for 41 games. You know, Josh Smith seems so comfortable coming off the bench. You don't want to start him. And you may not be you not, you not may likely not have a to choice keep him next year. Uh, you know, so. That. So, oh, man, Demo has become such an asset for the team, tonight's game notwithstanding, yeah. that I would hate. That, al- that almost becomes a push. You're giving up an awful lot to get something back in return that you really need. And I don't know if you advance your team that much by doing that. At this point, you have to keep as much of your assets that are contributing to this team right now right, yeah. and add. You can't add and take away a huge chunk of productivity to add because at that point you're just kind of turning water. Yeah, and he's been showing a little bit of three-point touch lately. Not a, not a guy who shoots you know high volume of threes, but he's been adding that uh, lately, been a little bit more efficient. Tough call. I, 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 I think that there's only one guy I'm willing to give up the Capella and pick for, and that's Dragic. And, uh, I, you know, unless there's something that I'm not seeing out there that might be available. I mean, Ty Lawson is an interesting one, but the, the contract is uh, not great. I've, I've heard that the Rockets don't necessarily love Lawson uh, as far as, you know, fit here. You know, take that with a grain of salt. But I, I don't necessarily consider him a candidate right now. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting trade deadline. I think the Rockets obviously want to make that upgrade. They consider, you know, they they felt that this is Harden. This is an MVP type year for Harden. They have to take advantage, but there's there's only so much you can do. What's available and and you know what you're willing to give up your your chief assets for. I think the one thing that 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 works in our favor is that even as well as Gold State has played and and sweeping the Rockets, that would be a concern. I just don't think there's any one team in the West that you should be fearful of. I think all these teams have played so well in spurts. So it's going to be wide. Depends on who you get in the playoffs, depending on what the matchups are. Yeah. But I think by and large, it's going to be wide open. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I think based on that, the Rockets, if they're healthy, have to like their chances of playing well against anybody. They have to be healthy. They have to have everybody in play. They have to get better shooting from the guys who have been shooting well of late. 
Terry, um, Ariza, Beverly, and then you go from there. But again, you can't afford to give up Debo unless you know Terrence Jones is going to be Demo. Yeah. And if you can't get a guarantee that he's going to be Demo, then you can't make that play because even a combination of Jones and Smith isn't going to quite give you what Demo has been giving you with Dwight Howard being in and out of the lineup. Does Steve Kerr pick Harden to start over uh, Clay Thompson in the All-Star game? I think he's been helped out greatly by not having either Kobe or Blake Griffin. Now he can start both Harden and Clay Thompson and go small because that no one's going to care. Point. It's not about defense <laughs> at that point. He's really been helped. I think whatever tough decision he, he, he had coming, now he can just skate into it by starting both of those guys, and I think he will. And if it's not Steve Kerr coaching, this isn't a tough decision, right? No, I mean, like, no one else is going to – because yeah, they, hey, it's understood. I mean, but it's his guy, so he's got to make it a tough – we, We've bumped that around. That's his guy, and you have to reward your guy. And my point is that Clay Thompson has been great this year. And if you have an opportunity to reward him on a national stage, then you do it. And to me, basketball people know how good he's been. I don't think the public at large know how good he's been. And the best way you show the public at large is by starting him in the All-Star game. I don't think Steve Kerr bypasses an opportunity to show his guy how much he respects him by not starting him. Yeah. But now he can start both of them and no one will know what decision he's going to make anyway. The three-point contest is going to be a classic. It's going to be. But it was interesting. I mean, we won't talk about what Hart said to us, but we were in the locker room the other <laughs> night looking up at the board and all those names are up there. And Hart, he, he was fixated on it. Yeah. And he had the second-worst three-point shooting percentage out of the eight guys participating. And that's enough. That's and nice. that's, that's amazing when you think about how good Corver and Wesley Matthews and a Splash Brothers and all those guys have been who are in the contest and Harden who's been arguably the MVP of the league who's shooting what 40% 42% yeah. of the past 35 games is the second worst three-point shooter <laughs> in the contest it's crazy that maybe out of everything that's going to happen that's going to be the most fun event of the entire weekend that is MK Bauer I am uh, privileged to get to sit next to him at every home game and uh, great basketball mind and you can read his stuff awesome work at Culture Map MK always a pleasure to have you on man thanks so much for doing this thank you Dave Thank you.